Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. So hi, I'm Kirk Kroc from Performance Freediving International. I'm on the Big Scuba podcast with Gemma and Ian, and we're going to be talking about freediving and the world's oceans and a little bit of our time on Avatar. So come on and enjoy the ride. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Big Scuba podcast. I am your dive master and co-host for this episode. My name is Ian and with me is... Hello, my name's Gemma and I am the other co-host and welcome to the Big Scuba podcast. So what are you listening to? Well, you're listening to a podcast which is going to be talking about (laughs) scuba diving and the watery world. And our oceans. So we talk to anybody that's connected to our oceans. Just anyone. Well, they have an element of wateriness about them. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, scuba divers, well-known divers, artists, astronauts, Anyone magicians. Yeah, yep. So, if you've got anyone. any recommendations for any guests, <laughs> point them this way. If you've got feet like look like a pair of fins, then can you join in? Webbed feet. Yeah. Come from last off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on swiftly. Right, so. Coming up on this episode, we, one, need to tell you about our lovely sponsors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a great guest, Kirk Croc, and he's with us. And he's going to be talking to us about Avatar, um, performance freediving, and uh, human factors, and all exciting things. Uh, we spoke to Kirk back in 2020. Yes, and we recently bumped into him at the deep... Uh, campus when we went there for a tour with Phil Short so that's the reason we are bringing out this episode because he is now the human diver performance lead at Deep. Uh, last week it was Phil Short we spoke to and this week we're just re-releasing. We must be building up for something. I think we are on the 26th of we February. <laughs> um, we've got some Blue O2 news and also we uh, talk about what we've been up to and other bits and bobs uh but before we get to that Mm -hmm. let's tell you about our lovely sponsor narked at 90 uh you can find them at narked90.com big enough to care small enough to cope they are specialists in the diving world particularly the technical diving world yeah Uh, they supply all sorts of equipment and they are a source of wealth and knowledge about the diving world so if you're a little bit stumped they're the people to call yeah they uh, they know everything there, there is to know, especially about your tech dive and rebreathers, things like that. If your dive computer needs a service, uh, then you need to speak to those guys. And uh, they have generally got uh, a fair amount of UK stock as well. Absolutely. So look them up at narked90.com. Now, let me get their saying right this time. <laughs> Large enough to cope. Small enough to care. Exactly. <laughs> well yes. Done. So we've got that right. Anyway, so let's move on. Um, so yeah, we've got this. Uh, we've got a great guest, um, and uh, we actually briefly met him for the first time, didn't we? We did. Yeah, it's great to see him in the flesh, not yeah. on Zoom. Yeah. Um, I've got a big thank you. Um, we so the other day we put a post up um, about because uh, looking at and thinking about and planning. Uh, diving on the M2 uh, on the south coast, mm-hmm. uh, which is this um, wreck. Uh, sadly, went down with all hands. Um, you know, submarine, isn't it? Was it? Submarine, yeah, submarine. And it's the first uh, navy ship, uh, navy submarine uh, to have a aircraft on it as well. Mm-hmm. As a, had a hangar 
all built into it which is pretty cool on the top of it massive yeah and that's what i think from you know there's lots of you know, lots of debate about how it went down um and it certainly seems like you know something to do with the, the hangar doors left open and mm. you know they were um anyway it all went horribly wrong and um it, it now lays at the bottom of the ocean, the bottom of the sea which is sad. Um, and is so it a depth? War grave. Yeah. Twenty, thirty meters. It's about, I think it's about twenty-seven. Mm. And then if you drop down the side, I think the deepest is thirty-two meters. So mm. it's within. If you've got a deep spec recreational um, cert, then it's doable as a um, as a recreational diver. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to go into um, you know, decompression diving or anything like that on the tech side. But obviously, more that would give you longer bottom time mm. so you can spend more time um i'm not looking to doing that i'm looking to doing that um i've got a uh i've got my deep set and uh twin set because i got a while back don't generally dive on twin sets so no but this is the occasion yeah it is i think so uh talking to several people um and talking to matt matt river who i'm looking to dive it with uh, later this year it was probably about late may um we're looking at doing it on tw- well i should be on twin set uh matt dies with a kiss rebreather um so he's you know he's well catered for um but i shall be on twin set probably on nitrox so mm. i get a bit more bottom time um and uh, gonna be doing some practice dives because i haven't been well, you've been the person I've been diving with for yeah, the last and I haven't what, got a deep couple spec, of years, really, haven't we? Mm. And uh, so I haven't been sort of on the thirty mark for some time. So we're going to do some practice dives mm. on the twin sets um, running up up at Stony. Uh, go visit the lovely Hydra Box a couple of times uh, with Matt. See how that goes, and um, and then yeah, yeah, you'd be a bit more prepared for. Well, I think it's, I'd rather play it safe. Yes, I think absolutely. You know, rather <laughs> yeah. than jump in the north, in the uh, in the sea. Uh, Need said North Sea, but it's not, it's not south, south coast. coast. Yeah. Um, so I'd rather do that uh, with a little bit more uh, practice mm. and and belt. Yeah. Which I know thirty odd meters isn't that deep compared to what a lot of people do, but it's still thirty meters. It is, yeah, and you know it's all practice, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, and being uh, safe. So yeah, that's so uh, we, that's our plan. So anyway, I want to say uh, thank you very much. We had loads of um, comments, loads of DMs um, about it. Yeah, it's um, good to see. So thank you very much. Yeah, well, I think it's a popular wreck, mm. you know, and a lot of people have done it. Um, and it'd be, hopefully, uh, be start of a few uh, yeah, to try and explore, really. Accessible, isn't it? Scapa Flow is quite a journey up in... up north whereas this is something well, a bit the more south coast for us is what it's about four hours mm. so it's doable you know um so without having to take loads of time off work yeah. and planning things in with kids and etc so you know it's something you can do get it done in a day and then wander home you know yeah. so yeah it's definitely doable yeah so. that's good and you've got your dry seat back now so yeah, you're well seat. equipped what i say oh. thanks to christmas seas thanks to polly uh, for letting me jump in thanks to Sam who was actually uh, uh, dive master Sam who was actually uh, running a uh, discovered scuba diving course mm. uh, yesterday in the pool were there many people? Um, half a dozen well, that's I good, think they were all people who he knew so um, but yeah got, I thought I'd better ask him if he wouldn't mind zipping me in 
they're thinking, I've, what's this mad person well, doing in a dry suit? Di- I have tried diving <laughs> with an unzipped dry suit. And uh, I did work. that at Staley once. And um, yeah, funny enough, it's it doesn't really work. Defeat really. the object of the... Yeah, everything gets a bit wet and a bit chilly and... But it worked. What, going in with a dry suit? And zip? No, zipped no. up and the repair on your oh, dry suit was repairs, good. yeah. The yes. repairs definitely worked. Thank, thanks to O3, quick turnaround and uh, did a service. Um, my poor old suit's got a little bit patchy now, but, you know, it's what it is. There's no point in having the dry suit in perfect condition. No, it? no, it's no, got, it's well used. It's well used and um, nine years going strong. So, yeah. No, that's good. Good point, actually, talking about dry suits, because... Um, I don't, it's a bit like your BCDs, you know, you should have them serviced and um, make sure and give them a wash down every time you've been diving, especially yeah. in the sea. Yeah. You make know. sure the valves are all... Yeah, they do yeah. get a bit sticky, you know, and it's, it's worth making sure that your dry suit does get serviced. Um, and, you know, your first port of call would be uh, speak to your local dive centre. Yes. Yeah. And uh, they will advise... A lot of people, uh, when they're looking to dive... We'll, we'll speak to the local dive centre because, you know, your dive centre will have contacts, will have relationships with certain manufacturers who might be in the area. Not mm. necessarily so, but might be. Um, A lot comes down to the brand of the dry suit, it does, where it will yeah. end up. Yeah, and we're well. seeing that, aren't we? We're seeing mm. that on the in, on the dive sites. Uh, you know, certain brands are standing out more. You've got your North Santi. Uh, Northern Divers, Otters, Hammonds, Avatar. Fourth Element. F- fourth Element, O3, you know, and you, you, you do see certain brands. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yes, so check your equipment and get ready for the start of the diving season, which isn't that far that could off. be the title of this, song, this um, <laughs> podcast episode. Yes. Make sure you check your equipment. Check your equipment every Regularly. day. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and talking um, to kickstart the uh, diving season off we've got the go diving show that is happening the 2nd and 3rd of march yes so uh, look look them up and book your tickets uh, so you can even go bigger than last year every year gets a bit bigger yeah so it's running on the saturday and sunday so you can go for a day or you can buy tickets for two days and i like it because there's you know a big strong um you know mark and penny and the team all put a big emphasis on uk diving mm. yeah there's obviously you know, people there from all around the world with different dive trips. And, Holiday companies. Yeah, we, we spoke to Chris Mears last time, didn't we? You know, yeah. And uh, what he does. And, um, but there is a big emphasis on UK diving particularly. Mm. And a lot of the speakers will be about talking about their UK diving. Yeah, if you go to the website, it lets you know who is speaking. So there are some familiar faces from previous years, but there are some new ones as well. So you've got tech diving, UK diving. It's something for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and also there's a pool there that so you can book up yes, to we were try. Do that. Yeah, to mm. try. You know, if you want to try uh, side mount diving or maybe a certain suit or something like that, yeah. then uh, there is you can book that and uh, give a piece of equipment a go. Mm. Yeah, so that just Which adds cool. a bit of variety to the day, doesn't it? Yeah, it? and good for kids as well. And uh, and a yeah. good good place to meet up with your diving friends from around the country. And around the world, because mm. like last year we, we spoke to Kevin and Christina, and Christina yeah. didn't we? And um, who else did we speak to? Um, Patrick Whitman. Patrick, yeah. Mm. You know, yeah. so people from who, who we'd not normally get a chance to speak to and chat to. Yes, and Kurt Crock will actually be there speaking and Phil Shaw will be there speaking as yeah. well this year. So yeah. um, about deep 
Oh, I'll just about to put my tea ordered, for sure. He does make me a cup of tea. He does, yeah, you're very awkward. <laughs> so, yeah, but that was back to our, our visit to Deep a couple of weeks ago. Yes, yeah. 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 What else have we got to say? We've, we're working on our diet fitness, aren't we? We are, um, yeah. Obviously... I've lost uh, £10 so far. Yeah, you're doing really, really well. Yeah, Looking a bit, bit slender. Got more to go, got more to go. <laughs> yeah, so we've, we've done our run today. I've been doing, uh, increased my distance on running, so I'm doing 10Ks now. I love running. You do, you do very well. I so, love running. Yeah. So what we do for running, we do Jeffing. So that is... What's Jeffing? Jeffing is Jeff Galloway introduced it. And it basically is... I didn't you, know that. You decide you're going to run for... Th- I thought it was just called Jeffing. Jeffing. I didn't realise that. It's your no, name Jeff Galloway. So look him up. But we run for 30 seconds and walk for 30 seconds at the moment. And yeah. that seems to work quite well. And yeah. So you're doing well. I do lots of heavy breathing. <laughs> you can talk now while you run. Uh, so that well, is an improvement. Your word. Yeah, so no, that's all good fun. It's great to be outside. And then uh, we're back at the gym. So doing a bit of swimming, saunering, steaming, and you're doing some weights as yeah. well. Yeah, so yeah, definitely up to our um, dive fitness. Definitely. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Well, I've got my uh, dive and medical. I'm sure a lot of other people have uh, got mine the end of March. So uh, all booked in. Yeah, so if anybody's out there working on their dive fitness, let, let us know what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, forward. Can't wait yeah. for the season to start. Let's get at it. Should be uh, with a bit of luck, hopefully, up at Stony. Well, uh, February. Late, yeah, later this month will be well. Mm. So, um, gosh, yeah. yeah, it's February. I keep thinking it's January. So. All right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, what else? Blue O2. We've just going to give that a little uh, mention. Yeah, Blue O2. Uh, there's some. You, uh, if you, if you've uh, been following Blue O2's news, well, we knew, you know, they had some news a couple of years ago, and uh, they carried on, and then. Some of their uh, boats got transferred to Master Liverboards. Mm, and then they? we had another newsletter yesterday or today. I'll just read it. That's probably, is that the easiest thing to do? We are thrilled to share. This is from Blue O2 mm-hmm. this morning, actually. Um, so if, you, if you're on their mailing list, you'll be getting this. We are thrilled to share exciting news that marks a new chapter in our journey together. You will know from recent communications that our Red Sea and Maldives vessels have joined the Master Liverboards family. As part of our commitment to providing you with an exceptional experience, we are delighted to inform you that these products, as well as the rest of Master Liverboards fleet, will now be offered through the Master Liverboards brand. The decision allows us to offer you a broader range of destinations products and destinations through a single brand. So basically, uh, sounds like they're just going to be known master, master liverboards. liverboards, yeah, which is good in some ways because it increases the destinations, like it says. And if you um, go on their Blue O2's website, uh, at as we speak, um, it says it's uh, under maintenance. Mm, so so just work. go to Master Liverboards, yeah. yeah so, but yeah, it's good or to see progress. Mm. Be fair, um, I know when I put mine up, but that was with scuba travel. And uh, they were brilliant, I have to say. Um, But yeah, um, there we go. Things change. They do. So they move on. Um, And then we just want to say, have you checked out our social media this week? We have put some more products out there from Narked at 90. They've brought out a new tank holder. Yes, which is like, you know, we had quite a lot of good feedback. We did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, 
it does simple what it says. Idea. Simple, simple idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then previously, over the previous few weeks, um, they've got a range of SMBs. So they've got. I have to say, um, now I've I've got a couple of SMBs. Um, I have to say, the build quality on these mm. SMBs. Bulletproof. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no word of a lie. Um, and I'm, I, I totally get, I totally will recommend these SMBs. Mm. Um, the build quality on them is top. Yeah, they're top one, 1. 1.8 metres tall, so they're nice, you know, visual. Big ones, yeah. You can get them in the usual colours, red. I with, quite like the stealth look. Well, though. red and black, yellow and black, pink and black, and then there's black and white. Yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, it seems like there's no... All my dive kit is black. So I, I kind of I like the black and white. But we did a test out on the water and, and black... And it does stand out, actually. It does stand out. So um, for all the people out there thinking, no, I won't see it, you will see it, definitely. It probably wouldn't stand out as well at night. No. But then the white writing. So no. it's... But you could put uh, glow sticks in. Yeah, yeah. But check them out. They're all available and in but stock. In, when we... Uh, when we hoisted them aloft uh, <coughs> on the water, mm. uh, and that was a dull, it was windy as anything, wasn't it? But yes. it was, it was a dull day, and that black did stand out. Mm. Yeah, but we'll get them in the water when we go to Stony, won't we? Because yeah, 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 you yeah. and Matt can give them a go from yeah. on your safety stop. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. but really good, and and anything comes out of Nart, the, the build quality is always robust. Yeah, they've brought out some scuba scissors as well. We've tested yeah. those. They're in a lovely Velcro sturdy holder that you can clip on your BCD or pop in a pocket. And I've seen scissors like forty quid, you know, nearly the same thing, and that's like. These ones were, were how much? 12? Yeah. 12, yeah. 15? Yeah, they'd make a great like gift. So really good value. Yeah. Really good value. Yeah. So everything... scissors are much better for cutting line and things. You, if you're in underwater and you get snagged with some line, you try cutting that with a knife. Yeah. Or if you needed to cut, a, you know, if you're on shore and had to cut a wetsuit or a dry suit or somebody... doesn't cut all that well with a, mm. with a knife. Yeah. And most knives, unless you actually sharpen yourself... They're pretty blunt at best, mm. so scissors uh, work so much better. Yeah, so, but well, no. So. Who talked to us about knives? Somebody talked to us about knives, didn't they? About how come some of these die, and you do see it. They look like they're going into the so jungle. you're at Stony so. Cove or Raysbury or Vobster, and you've got a, like, a huge, great big dagger. What are you going to Why? I don't know. <laughs> one on your leg, one on your BCT. <laughs> I don't know what things live in these inland water sites, but yeah. Uh, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, but they want to look cool. Well, that is part of diving. Well, I know there was somebody, actually, there was an instructor who always used to carry uh, sunglasses. So when he, could, when he got out of the water, he could take his mask off and put his sunglasses on. Not me, but there was there was an instructor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it you takes know who you are. It takes all sorts, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. So, but anyway, I think that's covered everything, isn't it? We've it's done like this. the gym. You get do get some characters. We do. In the <laughs> yeah, world. it's good to be back at the gym, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we have a little conflab about who we've seen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but it's uh, at least people are there. They're there to absolutely. You know, so get uh, out. over this period, you know, a lot of some. Some of the people in the UK hang up the dive kit while the water's a bit chilly. And um, good time, to, as we said, check your kit, get it serviced, send it off, you know, book it in with, the, with your dive yeah. centre to get your regs 
all serviced and all that so uh when things do warm up a little bit if that's you know your thing then um you're all ready to go yeah but anything you can do for your dive fitness you know lifting weights because you will lose some fitness over the winter if you don't do anything there's been a lot of research and uh, particularly for women as they get older resistance training you not go heavy weights no just doing some training is really good for the bone structure yeah um you know just doing some kind even with bands yes yeah or own body weight yes yeah calisthenics yeah, that's it. So the word for the day is calisthenics. And the title of this episode is going to be Check, check Your Equipment. Check Your Equipment. <laughs> yeah. Right, so we better talk about our guest, hadn't we? Yeah. So Kirk Crock, we spoke to him in December 2020. Um, we were all in sort probably, of lockdown. Probably the coolest dude in uh, freediving. Yes, so he started out as a scuba diver and then went into free diving and yeah. is the president of Performance Free Diving. Yeah. And then out alongside that, he does work with um, the film industry. Yeah. So he taught um, Kate Winslet to go from not being able to breathe and not being able to hold her breath underwater mm. to seven minutes. That's just incomprehensible. Seven minutes. But it is possible. It is possible. So. I can do... Without any, without without any tuition, a minute I think tops. Mm. Something that we need to look at further, Absolutely. isn't it? Because Actually, it is you about know, Tom Hardy, um, Ted Hardy, Ted Hardy even, um, Tom's his brother. Um, when he came on, you know, the, he talked to us about it, and I sh- often share some of his little videos and. Uh, Ted knows and Kirk, know, they know yeah. each other, don't they? And, and I think to work together. Uh, Kirk does say scuba diving once you've got the skills and the knowledge you know basically you can scuba dive but with free diving it is um, consistent um, performance and progressing to obviously build up your breath hold I just couldn't imagine holding your breath for seven minutes imagine what you could see let's let's try it now no (laughs) you know me I can't hold my breath <laughs> yeah, what, what did we do? We did um, see, uh, Caesar. We was practicing. We, did, we we tried to do a Caesar in the pool. Well, yeah, a ma- no mask and a swim underwater. <laughs> I didn't make it to the other side of the pool, but I had a cold, so yeah, because you did. Yeah. did help, didn't help. But yeah, so anyway, that's uh, us. But Kirk, so Kirk Croc, he is now um, part of Deep. So yeah. this is where the theme comes along. He is the human diver performance lead at Deep. Um, it's his mission to enable humanity to access and protect the oceans by enhancing human potential and capacity in the water. So bringing the skills of free diving yeah. um, into that. Element. Shows you where Deep is going because it's mm. pulling in. You know some of the top people in the industry. Yeah. Um, to be involved and lead the way. Yeah, and if you haven't heard of Deep, it is an international research and development organisation engineering new technologies that will involve understanding the and preservation of the planet's deep water environments. So it's so so important for our future, and it's pr- yeah. it's groundbreaking and really exciting. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is exciting because they're now starting to release stuff. You know, we're we're going to be releasing more information as time goes on. Um, you know, and hopefully, you know, continuing to share the journey. Yes, yeah. Um, which we, you know, we're really excited about. And uh, yeah, it's going to be one of these companies where I think you're going to be looking at and reading about. 
in years to come. Yeah, and they're a team of about 80, but they will be growing and growing over yeah, yeah. Um, as things develop. Yeah. So, yes, really in, in interesting stuff. But yes. we thought we'd re-release this episode um, because Kirk has got a lot of interesting yeah, yeah, stuff to talk yeah, about yeah, and it yeah. kind of sets the scene for and our next podcast album. Yeah, he, he was advising uh, Jim Cameron on Avatar mm, that, yeah, you know, so he yeah. knows his stuff yeah and he's taken well people respected. three free diving to get world records yeah. so you know and that's he is an expert in his field yeah yeah so that's uh, Kirk Croc. Right. Well, I think we covered everything. We have, I think so. Excellent. <laughs> and as always, uh, any comments, um, any messages, any questions, drop them on a DM using our social media or on an e- email. It's all in the show notes. Yeah, we are regularly, you'll find us either on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Facebook groups, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. Mm. Covered uh, it. Yeah, I think yeah. Right. So uh, if you just look up Big Scuba, or if you go to bigscuba.com, it's all on there as well. But yeah, we, we love getting our DMs and emails right. and stuff like that. Yeah, and on our website, um, just subscribe because there will be a newsletter coming out very shortly. So yes. the more people we can get on our distribution li- li- list, the better. Yes, glad <laughs> you said that. Right, let's wrap this up. This is episode 171, Kirk Croc. Thanks for listening and enjoy. So, Kirk Croc, uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Big Scuba podcast. And uh, with us is Gemma and myself. And we'd like to just talk to you about your uh, free diving, your uh, history into diving, uh, how you help the today's A-listers get to zero to several minutes in the water and holding their breath you know that's amazing uh, you've recently been credited with helping kate winslet um we on the avatar 2 film and helping her with her breath holding and being able to do that film work and i believe holding her breath from uh, just a few seconds right through to over seven minutes which is an absolutely amazing thing for anyone to do you know, and uh, we'd like to talk about that as well. So um, maybe we can start off with telling you if you can explain a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name's Kirk Kroc. So I'm the president and founder of Performance Freediving International. Um, grew up a water baby, you know, lifeguard, swim instructor. Um, started scuba diving when I was uh, about 14. I think I got certified. It was a birthday present or a Christmas present from my parents. And, um, you know, just kind of became a recreational dive instructor. Uh, water was a big thing in our lives. We had a sailboat, we snorkeled, we skin dived. Um, you know, we were actually free diving, but we didn't know it was called free diving at that time. In fact, you know, I think uh, once you're taking very specific breaths and you're using the surface as a means to prepare to go under the water where that's where really the risks start to come into, especially if you're getting into that five meter and equalizing multiple times. So was a free diver very early on, not realizing it, not really aware of the risk, but yeah, I became a, I became a dive instructor in 88. And uh, when I was 20, I bought my first dive shop when I was 20. Um, I worked for a guy for a year and then I bought him out and he went to Thailand. And um, so, and I've always worked for myself from that time. So I, uh, I started this inland diving center uh, on, 
on our trips, um, you know, if we went to the Caribbean with a group every third day, I'd, I'd skip scuba diving and I'd, I'd just go snorkeling, you know, but snorkeling the 20 meters and playing with all my customers and their bubbles and things like that. Um, so I sold that. I moved back to the Cayman Islands for a second time. Um, in that time, I had actually got into technical diving. So this would have been in the early 90s. I became a nitrox instructor and then a technical nitrox instructor and then a trimix and instructor trainer and all of that stuff. So by, by mid 90s, I was uh, in the mixed gas, trimix, instructor trainer, all that sort of thing. I had started a dive shop in the, in the Cayman Islands called Dive Tech. And that's really what we focused on and specialized in. But during that time, again, this passion of just shedding, you know, four to six tanks off of me because it was all open circuit in that time. There was no rebreathers doing the depths we were doing. You know, I was doing like 175 meter dives in the mid to late 90s, uh, all staged bottles or carrying it with us or having some of my... Uh, my staff meet us at moderate depths, like 90 meters to switch off some. Moderate depth. Yeah, yeah, moderate depth. Yeah, exactly, to switch off some of our, our decompression tanks. Um, but, you know, again, on my days off, I'd grab a scooter and just mask fins and snorkel and go blast around on the reef. And so I met this, uh, we had this Italian gentleman who was on vacation on his honeymoon, and he wanted to get his 30 meter app. That was really the first time I heard kind of free diving associated with apnea thinking well sleep apnea that's what we know it about right and he belonged to this club and so we needed to document so he could prove that he did a 30 meter breath hold dive and so I wrote up one page of these protocols because I couldn't find anything at the time and we helped him you know do this 30 meter thing you know we had divers staged every five meters I mean it was just crazy you know considering what we know now right and this would have been in like 97. I, um, and then, uh, and, and then Pepin Ferreris came down because we had all the equipment, we had the training, you know, we were doing 400 foot to 500 foot plus mixed gas dives at that point, scuba dives, so we could support a thing. So he came down and with his wife, Audrey, and they, he did a two breath record. She did a French national record, I think at the time. And so we supported that. And that was really my first kind of introduction into, I guess, the more formalized world of free diving, what it was back then, which was really just like Umberto Pelizzari and Pepin Ferreris, right? And then some other people. And um, he came back and we, we started to do some courses. He had a, a banner and a name for an association, but nothing else, no standards, nothing written down. So during a course he was teaching, I was taking notes on the computer and he was like, well, what are you going to do with all that? And I'm like, well, I'm just, you know, taking notes. And then the idea was, well, maybe you could write some manuals. So I wrote these, you know, the first really formalized standards and procedures for a whole educational system, right? From snorkeler through advanced levels and specialties and this sort of thing. And then I wrote five different books and we produced some videos and we really formalized and became the IFD, the International Association of Freedivers, which we had in the Cayman Islands. And we formed this kind of partnership. Yeah. And, um, you know, eventually it, it really didn't last if you do business with them, it didn't. And, um, and by that time, I had then over the course of several years had trained uh, Tanya Streeter to a national record and then Brett LeMaster to a national record for the U.S., and then Tanya to a world record and then Brett to a world record. And so December of 99, I left Caymans, 
you know, realizing there was this opportunity in free diving because there was really nothing formalized. It was, you want to learn free diving? Hey, come with me, you know, watch me free dive and uh, let's not talk about blackout or anything like that. You know, don't ever admit you had a blackout. That's like admitting you had a venereal disease, right? So, and I thought, how stupid is that? That, that should be the first thing we talk about is safety. Let's get that out of the way and get a system in place to be safe. And then we can work on technique. And then once we got technique figured out, once safety and technique are figured out, then performance will just naturally evolve from there. And so I left Cayman, kind of left that old system that I developed and completely rewrote a new system. So in January of 2000, I had formed Performance Freediving International with a complete new set of philosophy and standards and procedure, an educational system. Um, and, you know, here we are 20 years later. So a couple of years ago, uh, oh, just a little over a year, a year and a half ago, I, um, I joined uh, Performance Freediving with International Training. So it's now part of TDI, SDI, ERDI, uh, First Response, and, uh, and now they have PFI. So they're a complete diving educational system. They're really well known, obviously, in the, in the technical diving market. And uh, have a really strong recreational scuba system and all of that sort of thing. And now they have a really kind of complete, and very comprehensive and professional freediving program. So there's a lot from you know January 2000 to now. And so you know the long and the short of it is really PFI was the first real educational system. We were the first to get insurance, professional liability insurance. In that time, I trained seven people to 23 world records, you know, dozens of people to hundreds of national records. Um, a lot of the things we see in freediving today, like counterbalance and actual recovery breathing, or more specific, hook breathing associated with recovery breathing, a lot of the initial uh, foundational rules within IDA, uh, like surface protocols, are things that I had developed at, uh, in the early 2000s. When you say about hook breathing, because some people yeah. will be listening to this who won't know what you mean by that. Yeah. Can you simply just um, simply explain what that means? Yeah. So in freediving, the, the most important breaths you're ever going to take in freediving aren't the ones you take beforehand. They're the first six breaths you take when you get back to the surface, because that's the point at which you're at critical hypoxia, critical varying degree of lack of oxygen. And there's six different ways we can black out three really associated to kind of oxygen and, and that sort of thing. And it can be because of hypoxia, varying degree of lack of oxygen. It can be because of a disruption of blood flow to the brain. Um, and, uh, and one can, because can happen because of an ascent to the surface where the lungs are re-expanding and you have a reversal of the transfer of oxygen where oxygen should be going from lungs into blood. Now partial pressures are inverted and now the lungs are sucking the oxygen that's in the venous blood coming back to be oxygenated and it's actually pulling it out of the lungs because there's lower partial pressure in the lung. So, so I developed and Brett Lamaster and I developed this system of breathing called recovery breaths. Initially it was during his uh, world record training. So we had done a 60 meter, 200 foot national record for him for the US. And then kind of a year later, we're training for this world record and we're getting to this depth and he's getting to the surface and his lips are pink. So that's showing me he's got good blood flow to the brain, cerebral blood flow, right? You can see the oxygenated blood. 
And then within 10 seconds, his lips are going blue. And then he's having a loss of motor control, having motor control skills, sometimes blacking out. And we're like, I'm telling him, I don't know what's going on, Brett. You're coming back with oxygenated blood. I see it. And then I see it leaving. And so we're like, well, who else experiences this? And we're like, well, fighter pilots, right? You know, they pull negative Gs, blood gets pulled away. And what do they do? Well, they do hook breathing. So they do, do, do this top of the breath. Uh, hold for three seconds and then they bear down like they're sitting on the toilet. And so we tried it and it was like magic and it worked. And so to really then bring that, not just into a world record setting, but to bring it into a standardized system of education where every one of the instructors around the world and every student is going to know the same language and the same protocols, we really formalized it. And so a hook breath is, is a hold on a full breath where you don't bear down so much as you just relax the chest wall and let the natural chest elasticity kind of create the, an increased pressure. And you hold for three slow seconds and then you immediately exchange that breath, but never exhaling more than half your volume. Because the problem is, is as we, as I exhale too deep, which would be the natural response, right? After you've had a big, strong urge to breathe, you want to get it all out. And so what happens is you collapse the alveoli, which has the potential to open up the blood vessels surrounding the alveoli to overdilate. Because you have high CO2, your lungs have a propensity to want to dilate, to get oxygen into blood, get the most amount of blood oxygen um, and the CO2 out. And but what do you have kids- a medical background then? Because that's quite a, an in-depth, um, what's the word, uh, evaluation to make, isn't it? Unless, right. If you don't have a medical background and you know you're talking about things that we should you know for a lot of us way over our heads and sure uh, you know so for unless you've got a medical background how do you get to understand all that when and know what's going on because how did you suddenly go well how how do we know that the uh, the jet pilots are having this as well it's quite it's quite quite a big comparison right right um, well, I don't have a medical background. I don't have a formalized medical training. I'm a wilderness EMT and combat medical technician uh, and, you know, things like that. But no, um, for me, it was simply I looked at what I knew from diving physics and physiology. Yeah. And then I had to then relook at all of that stuff from a different focus. So in technical diving and scuba diving, it's really about partial pressures when we come down to it. I mean, you're told always breathe, never, never hold your breath. So there's a little bit of lung expansion in there. But really what we're dealing with is bubble dynamics and all of those decompression aspects. Whereas free diving, it's about volumes. It's about compressing volumes. And I have different air spaces. I have this airspace up here, which is going to remain the same size. And then I've got this flexible airspace here, which has semi-rigid air spaces. And then I've got my gastrointestinal, which... You know, so I've got all these different airspaces and they, this has to be locked off from that one, especially when I'm upside down trying to equalize. So anyways, you had to, you have to know all this stuff. And, and what I had the advantage of is because I went through all this training and did this, these world records. I mean, we really dove into whatever medical um, papers we could get, um, you know, just get, just talk with a lot of doctors who were, who were in the know who had done some of the original studies or uh, Peter Lindholm, who was studying under Dr. Massimo um, at the time uh, in Boston. 
and just kind of liaising with them. And, and what happened early on in, at the end of 2000, I was asked to be a part of and set up an advanced freediving research study at Simon Fraser University. So what I would do is I would take participants who'd be, who could be swimmers, snorkelers, and scuba divers, but they couldn't be a freediver. And um, I would take them through a 12-week program, like I'm going to try and get them on the national team. And the first six weeks is is once a week in the classroom and pool, hour and a half classroom, two hour pool session. And then I give them homework. The next six weeks, there's that plus an ocean session once a week. But before they come in, we take them to the kinesiology lab and we measure, you know, lung volumes and cerebral blood flow. And we put them through tilt tests to see how fast their sympathetic parasympathetic system does. And so I would be a part of that measuring and, and then we measure them post. And uh, I've just always kind of been fascinated by it. And there were things that we would come across in free diving that needed an answer. It need, there, there was a problem we need to solve. And so it's physiology and it's physics. So what do I know about it? Which will then lead me to who do I need to go ask? Yeah. What do I need to research more of? And then, and then honestly, just a lot of anecdotal, this just seems to work. I mean, we tried hook breathing and it worked. And Brett went on to, you know, add 20 some more meters onto his, onto his depth. And it just was a noticeable game changer. Yeah. Do you find your um, students or the people that you're training get into all the detail of like you've just spoken about, so they completely understand their bodies. Yeah, yeah. Because one of the things we like to do in the program, it would be easy just to say, do this and mm. not give any, you know, just trust me, just do it and it'll work, right? And maybe there's some people that do that, but we've really taken our educational system past just education when we've kind of brought it into a lot of entertainment as well. So there's a lot of backstory and there's a lot of entertainment as you're being taught. Um, and so the, the functionality of our educational system is this, is to, to give you the reasons why you're experiencing what you're experience, experiencing. Here's the, here's the solution for it. And here's why we're going to do the solution. And then it makes more sense. It, it, it really erases all the big question marks. Because if I'm out there to have fun, or if I'm really there to have an increase in my performance, my performance is only going to increase if I'm feeling comfortable and with knowledge comes comfort because you're, you understand, Oh, I'm feeling that because, Oh, this is happening. My lung volume has compressed beyond my total or my residual volume and my diaphragm's being stretched and that's firing off stretch receptors and it's giving me an urge to breathe, but it's not real urge to breathe because it has nothing to do with oxygen and carbon dioxide. And, you know, so it answers all of those questions while you're on it. And that makes you more comfortable. And when you're more comfortable, you're more relaxed. Because again, free diving is about volumes compressing, right? And if you're tense, then your chest wall is super tight. You're not going to be relaxed and compressible. So that's why we do take it into, into a higher level of education so that you can really know what's going on. And then what's been a real game changer uh, with PFI um, joining with international training is now we have a pre-learning program. So we have an online learning system where, you know, you go through the videos and the pictures and you answer the quizzes and now you get to come to class and we don't have to teach you what an atmosphere of pressure is or why your lung volume is compressing at these different rates. You've 
got that basic information, now we can really dive into the stories that help form a complete image as it's gonna to relate to you and your diving uh, and not spend time in class teaching you what an atmosphere is, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, we've really made a game changer in our overall system of education um, and we're very proud of it. So do you see it still progressing so that you can get better at breath holds or getting more depth? Yeah, so our system of education starts right with snorkeler, goes to a free diver level, training someone in the 20 meter zone. And then we have an intermediate level. Actually, I'm, I'm showing these up, but really they're getting deeper, aren't they? Right. <laughs> so then there's the intermediate level, which is like to a maximum of 40 meters. Um, you don't have to do 40 meters, but that's the max we go to. There's, you know, that's a 25 meter program to to know the knowledge and prove the ability to get the card. And then we have an advanced level program, which is 60 meters. And then something that I've been pioneering and developing is something called technical free diving that we've been using a lot. And now that's the introduction of oxygenated mixtures, which for some free divers is controversial. Uh, and some it's just like, you know, for, to them free diving should be butt naked no equipment at all, no swimsuit, no nothing, you know, that to them, that's the purest form of free diving. And I'm, and I'm like, listen, whatever, whatever the tool, whatever right tool for the job is. Now I'm a purist as far as, you know, just going out and loving the reef and enjoying it. But there's times when I'm filming, doing documentary work or movies, or, you know, we did a technical scooter freediving trip to truck lagoon where we were on wrecks at 65 meters doing six minutes 15 second breath hold times not all at depth but the total run time yeah. and being able to shorten our surface intervals by upwards of 40 40 uh, percent to get more of these dives in using scooters and using two mixes on the surface as decompression or preload mixes to then go and do so you know there's a lot of things that free diving can be more than just go look at pretty fish on a reef or harvest something or competitively go up and down a line. Yeah. And can we take that a minute? So, so when you're on the surface with this mix, yeah. you're basically inhaling that in and getting and saturating your system with it before you um, go. Yeah. So this, the basics of technical free diving is this is using an oxygenated mixture for a number of advantages. So, uh, reduce decompression stress, right? Because we can get bent free diving and I have been bent free diving neurologically uh, and done chamber treatments for neurological hits. So we do have one lung full of, of air and 79% of it's oxygen and our ascent and descent rates are fast. So we're working on fast tissues. So those are the tissues being affected, which tend to be more neurological. Um, and so less decompression stress, um, faster recovery times. Um, we can reduce, theoretically, we can reduce surface intervals, and that's still something we're kind of beta testing, and it isn't a big proponent, or, yeah, that we're, you know, we're not saying use technical freediving to reduce your surface interval. Plan your surface intervals as if you're on air, but use nitrox as to be that advantage, right? Um, when uh, we were the first people to employ technical freediving for our safety freedivers. So I run a competition called Deja Blue every, well, almost every May, except in these new times we're in now, right? Um, and, and I would have my safety freedivers uh, using a standard nitrox mix of 32%. So they're running their dives and figuring out when they're going to leave the surface to meet the diver and all of that sort of stuff and what depth they should meet at. 
um, but they're planning it as if they were just on air. But really, they've got 32% in their lungs, in their back pocket. So they'll tell you that at the end of a week of hundreds and hundreds of free dives that they don't feel near as wiped out because yeah. they've, you know, look at professional sport athletes come off the field and you see it in football, American football all the time. They put an O2 math. Yeah. Um, and so that's all those advantages. So what we would do in its, in its, in its like most technical element, like we did in truck lagoon is I would have an 80% mix. And then if we're on a wreck, let's say in 40 meters, I might have a 32% mix. So I come up from my dive and there was three of us, myself, Chris Bustad and John Halverson, instructors of ours. Uh, Chris is now the subject matter expert at PFI with, uh, with ITI. And um, we would, I'd come up, I'd immediately go on an 80% mix while Chris would be my dedicated safety. So he's got to watch me for no less than 30 seconds, right? After 30 seconds, if my lips have turned pink again and I've got oxygen flow and I'm showing cognitive ability and I'm showing motor control and I'm not shaky. Um, then after 30 seconds, I'm good. But as soon as I hit the surface, John starts his dive and yeah. we just get into this rotation. So then at some point I've been on my 80% mix, I'm calculating for my depth and time I just did what my surface interval for, should be. Then I'm taking a calculation because I'm using 80% Now I'm going to knock off some of my surface time. So once I get to that time, then I go for my 80% and then I go to my 32% mix, but I confirm and we do a switch. So it's confirmed with my buddy that I've done a gas switch because the last thing I want to do is forget that I'm still on 80 and head down to 40 meters, right? Which would be a bad thing. So for maybe the audience members who aren't nitrox certified oxygen under partial pressures that are high enough can be toxic to your central and causing convulsions at the worst case. So I confirm that I've made this switch to a low mix. And then when my time comes up and the other guys are back on the surface and I can go, I start my dive again. And we just do this waltz between mixes and safety and going from diver to safety to on deck, breathing up to go again. And then you've got, you know, dive extra piranha scooter and there's no work to get down. <laughs> right? There's no work to get back up. You got to be careful on your ascent rates on the way to the surface. So we gear down in the last portions to go nice and slow because ascent rates, especially with a scooter can be too. Those last few meters are important, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that would be kind of technical free diving at its, you know, in some ways at its most technical or most fun and adventurous, but it has a high degree of risk. And so there's an educational system to it and there's protocols and procedures and there's knowledge you need to know to really go up and have fun and do it safely and, and use it for the right tool for the job. So on Avatar, we've been using uh, technical freediving protocols. Before I started going to New Zealand, we logged over 250,000 breath hold dives wow. using oh. technical freediving incident free. Yeah, that's brilliant. And that's a good record. Very clean record. Yeah. You know, so how do you approach, you know, I know you just mentioned Avatar and we'll get to Avatar, sure. but how do you approach, um, so when you got you, when you get called in to help and advise on certain films and uh, shows, you know, you've helped David Blaine, you've helped Tom Cruise. How do you, when these people are complete, maybe novices, how do you then approach them? And because you haven't got the time to go through the courses, yeah. how, how do you approach that? Do you approach them any differently? 
well, I do actually have the time to go through the courses. So I take them through, I do, I do take them through a course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, Tom and I were two and a half months training and learning. Um, You know, not every day, (laughs) you know, sometimes once a week for half an hour, if I was lucky. Um, But that's why they bring me in for that amount of time. Because here's the thing about free diving, right? As opposed to scuba diving, let's say, um, let's say, you were the same person and I could just put a USB in you and download all the theoretical knowledge and you would know it like that. Right. And we could go into the pool. I could show you as a scuba diver, here's how you get your reg. You practice it once. You'll always have it. You you don't need to do it again. There's no reason why in one day you couldn't be doing hundred meter trimix. Right. I mean, your ability to retain and repeat knowledge was at, at a flow state. Now let's took, look. Let's look at the free diver. Same thing. Plug all the academic knowledge in. Show a perfect entry. Here's how you equalize. It's fantastic, but the physiology still isn't adapted. So the physiology in free diving is a repetitive volume thing that I need to train the heart rate to slow down, the bradycardic system. I need to train the extremities to constrict blood vessels and the core, the thoracic area to dilate blood vessels. I need to train the spleen to shrink by 20% to push more red blood cells in. And that's only gonna happen through volume of dives. It's not technique. Technique does help a bit when you're trying to equalize. You know, there's certain things we know technique-wise that we didn't know 10, 15 years ago that have been game changers. But really it's now about the adaptation that process of the body. So what we're really good at with our educational system is knowing the the modifications and manipulations of the physiology to induce certain adaptive responses Mm -hmm. uh, and changes in your physiology, other than you just being a a healthy individual. Do you find they need to be kind of peak fitness um, to kind of take this all on board? Um, Well, no. So if we're talking about a regular course and just regular Mm -hmm. customers, we have them all shapes and sizes and, you know, genders and races and abilities and non-abilities. We actually even have, we're the first to develop an adaptive freediving program for people with learning, cognitive, physical disabilities. Um, So everyone should be able to enjoy the underwater world in some form and fashion, right? Which was really the reason why we developed an adaptive. But um, do you have to be the perfect (laughs) physical specimen? I mean, you could be Michael Phelps, right? I mean, just lungs with a heart hanging off and shoulders. Yeah. Um, But if you're afraid of the ocean and you never want to get into the ocean because you're a pool person, it doesn't matter how you're peak physical shape is. If your psychology isn't there, it doesn't matter. So really what we want is a person who's in, who's healthy. First off, you have to be healthy because it is a marine environment. It's a diving environment. There's cardiovascular stressors and things, you know, just uh, imagine as soon as you're in the water, your lung, you know, your, your blood pressure and your blood distribution changes and all of these things that we know through immersion diuresis, the P reflex. Um, so you have to be just a, a healthy person. Then from there, we can all change and adapt because genetically we are born of the ocean. I mean, for millions of years, we've been evolving out of the ocean. So yeah. if you've ever heard of the idea that antogeny recapitulates phylogeny. So that means from conception to when you're born. Think about that every day, you know. You, you mimic you mimic evolution, right? There's a point where in that, in that, evolu- in that development, in, in uh, you know, fetal, 
that you have gills <laughs> and some people still have them and they're called nubules under the skin, right? So, so we're born of the oceans and our body has this ability to adapt to an extreme environment. And that extreme environment for us is the hypoxia or the hypercapnia, right? The change of those two gases. And it's the compression on the air and how that changes cardio, pulmonary, you know, all these different things. And so our body's really good at adapting, amazingly good at adapting that, you know, we're self-powering down to 130 meters now. And just like 15 years ago, you had to ride a sled yeah. down and back up, but now we self-power to it. You know, we have breath holds of, uh, I think officially it's still 11.35, although national records are sometimes over 12 minutes breath hold and hardly any brain damage at all from them. Hardly any. <laughs> bump, yeah. <laughs> there was a famous study. I don't know. I think it was in this country where they um, tested brand new new babies just born um, yeah. in water, and they found that they were absolutely at home in the water. Just yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They breathe the lot, you know. Yeah, I mean, water water births are an amazing thing. And uh, yeah, the baby can be born, still have the umbilical and be underwater working off the umbilical, like a commercial diver, <laughs> right? <laughs> just, just, just come out of the uh, saturation habitat and <laughs> kind of hanging around. And then, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a very natural form. I mean, we are, a, you know, we are originally a water animal. That's how we would have been born at some point. Yeah. And you, when you think about that and we treat the ocean so badly, Oh, we're horrible with it. Yeah, oh, it's like the lifeblood of the planet. We're just like throwing all this crap into it. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, there's a number of things. And uh, so, you know, part of, if you read part of my history, we were part of the Cove. We helped uncover the slaughter of dolphins in Japan. And I was part of racing. And, and those led me to have a, a really larger appreciation for the environmental impacts and things that were mm -hmm. going and you know besides global climate change you know maybe the bigger thing is the biodiversity tragedy that we are undergoing that we're losing species faster than some of the mass extinctions that happened you know millions of years ago um and uh you know these are all climate change and, and biodiversity are game changers and the ocean it's 73 percent of our planet and we know more sometimes about the other planets than we do about the bottom of our ocean and is that real and but don't you think it's good didn't you like that because I, I, I like that I, I like that the fact there's still mysteries on our yeah, absolutely right my, my, it's funny because my dad always says, you know, when he was a kid growing up reading books, there was deepest, darkest jungles of Africa that we still hadn't really explored. You, you know, the local indigenous population explored them, but, you know, it wasn't the rest of the world. It was still a mystery. And now we know everything about land. We've been everywhere, uh, which is the problem, isn't it? Because we're going into areas that were not ever reached by people before. And now we're, you know, bringing those diseases out with us, Ebola, COVID, more than likely. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, and now the oceans, I mean, it, it's, yeah. You know, when you think that 70% of the world's protein comes from the ocean and that we're, you know, we say we harvest the ocean, but that usually implies you put back in, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not, we're just raping and pillaging it. And yeah. uh, it's the tragedy of the commons because there's in, in international waters, there's, 
I got to get mine before everyone else gets theirs. Today's episode is sponsored by Narked at 90. So let's find out a bit more about them. Narked at 90, their tagline has been beyond technical, which describes them pretty well. John Routley and Brent Hudson launched the company over 20 years ago. They are both technical divers who have logged thousands of mixed gas dives between them over a 30-year period. Using their engineering know-how and diving expertise have developed bespoke personal, commercial and military diving equipment and products of a universally recognised unparalleled calibre. Their ability to be adaptive and versatile with their developments led them to support the NHS during COVID. Using their superior knowledge of breathing and oxygen monitoring systems to help develop emergency ventilators. They also design and supply the sneaky stuff used by defence-based development groups throughout the Western world, although they can't tell us much about that. If you're thinking of moving across to tech diving or completely new to diving, Narked at 90 can advise and guide on the best equipment and setup for your personal or commercial requirements. Narked at 90 have unparalleled experience of shearwater dive computers and are the longest serving and sole and UK European service centre for those. They are happy to offer technical support, servicing, repairs and upgrades to all shearwater computers, past and present. Narked at 90 stock shearwater computers, but are also stockers and technical support centre for many other manufacturers, including Divesoft, JJCCR, Hollis, Revo and Kiss Rebreathers. Based centrally in the UK, Narked at 90 also offer full rebreather head servicing for selected manufacturers. Bespoke cable assemblies. Advice on specific fitting requirements. Suggestions and guidance for home builds. Computer laser cutting and engraving. Pressure testing to simulate 400 metre dives. So, Narked at 90, a reputation built on supporting both manufacturers and divers worldwide. Go to narkedat90.com and make sure you are following their social media to keep up to date with their latest news and offers. Narked at 90, large enough to cope, small enough to care. So let's talk Avatar 2. Okay, right. You've been a, a, a player on that with helping this guest and um, I was watching uh, a small clip from Stephen Colbert and he had Kate Winslet on who credited yep. you for yeah. helping her get from uh, just a few seconds right through to holding the breath. I think it's seven minutes, 14 or something like that. It was over seven yeah, minutes. I forget the exact. Uh, I, I, I'm, I tend not to remember the specific numbers. <laughs> but I tell, I, I tell you, that's a brilliant thing for somebody to be able to do that. And, yeah. you know, it, it's not natural for any of us being underwater. And uh, we had a go eight months ago uh, on this podcast of doing a bit of filming underwater just in our local pool and how difficult that was. It was unreal, you know, and um, to, I just can't imagine how difficult that was and how she got over that. So can you talk us through how you approached that and, you know, what was involved and a little bit about, are you able to tell us a little bit? Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of non-disclosure. There's like that thick of non-disclosure agreements that I've had to sign. So I can give you some generalities and some things that I've already, you know, that uh, James Cameron and John Landau have kind of put out, uh, 
that are public knowledge out there. So first yeah. off, yeah, we've been shooting uh, two and three. And number two is a, a water-based movie. I mean, if you've seen, who has not seen Avatar first off? Uh, so we've been, in the first Avatar, we've seen the forest Navi and the plains Navi and the mountain Navi. Well, now you're going to see the ocean. And they're the Metakain, they're, they're called. And, um, and so the, the cool thing about is we're going to see James Cameron's vision of what Pandora looks like underwater. Now, I can't tell you anything other than it's mind blowing, okay. right? Um, and, you know, the thing about James Cameron, this is a guy who is a water person at heart. He considers himself a free diver first and foremost at heart. And yet he's gone to the deepest parts of the ocean and he's done all these amazing uh, you know, uh, documentaries underwater and, and some of his stories when you get to hear them are just incredible. So just, uh, I'm so excited to be able to see too, because it is the most significant diving movie ever made hands down. Um, it just takes place in the future on another planet with these Metakayin, uh Navi, but we shot it wet for wet, which means everything you see underwater happened underwater and in breath hold this isn't aquaman we're not hanging from ropes with fans in our hair trying to make it look like we're underwater so when you see sigourney weaver kate winslet sam worthington zoe saldana you know stephen lang and and then seven kids i had seven kids that were from six to 16 years old that i had to train as well um and it's really this story about a family that's you know in peril and at the ocean and so, yeah, go ahead. What, was it just yourself training them or were you like the I, head of the trainers who were teaching them? Yeah, I was the head person. And it was, it was for the most part me. And then I had some other people within the stunt department who got brought onto stunts and were instructors of mine that I would then kind of key in when I had larger groups and they'd come and help. But it was my job to basically train cast and crew and breath hold. Uh, the camera people, the grips, everyone, because we're shooting what's called performance capture. So they're wearing wetsuits with reflective dots and the camera is ringed with okay. camera. And so um, you couldn't have a bubble in the water because the, the reflection off the, off the bubble would mess up the cameras, right? So you couldn't have the people behind the camera blowing bubbles on scuba or bubbling away because it would mess up the whole capture system. So in the water, we're looking at blocks, you know, and piping and things like that. But when you look on the flat screen, you see Pandora underwater. I'm looking at Sigourney Weaver, you know, in her dotted suit, but on there's her character uh, underwater. So yeah, it's just absolutely amazing. And so they did it. So, you know, the, the train, what Avatar did was they are living in the real physics of the world. So this is, Avatar is in our, is in our reality, right? It's just mm -hmm. in our future. And so all the real world physics and science apply here. So the thing that James Cameron uh, is, and this is what just is gonna blow us all away about this, is the real physics had to apply. That when you saw someone swimming, it wasn't some computer guy's idea of what a breaststroke would look like. You know, like if you look at animation and you watch a character walking, as best as they try, you still, like if you, you oh, could cool. tell, yeah, yeah. It's, there's subtleties that you just know. So everything we did was underwater, all that breaststroking and, 
you know, all the diving and all that sort of thing. So you're going to look at it, the quality and resolution and just the textures and everything they brought it to. And then the real swimming, you're just going to feel like every diver in the water in the audience is going to wet them. They're just going to get it. Um, and then the audience who's the non-divers will look at it and still get it because it's in the real physics of the real world uh, yeah. that we did it. So, so yeah, I mean, we had this time where uh, Sigourney was doing this scene and a really active scene, like she's not just kneeling on the bottom and, you know, holding her breath. She is working hard for over two and a half minutes on this scene underwater. Um, and so what Avatar did, just to get back to my point a little bit ago, was that they were really good in saying, okay, here's the cast, they need to be water people. So what do we need to do, Kirk? And you know, it was what was supposed to be a two month gig for me is now going on over three and a half years. <laughs> and, and so just training them. And some of them were supposed to be like really like born and live in the water. For the most part, you know, they are, that's their, that's their thing. And so I had to take them to like a very developed level. And then other people were just supposed to be their first times in water. So I had to give them skill, but I couldn't have them too polished and looking good. But my job was to make sure that the breath hold aspect of it could be in the background. It's like driving a car. The first time you're driving a car, you're aware of where your hands are and your foot's on the accelerator and you're aware of everything. And now we can drive a car, we can text and drink a coffee at the same time, right? Uh, you don't even think about driving. So that was the whole idea with what I had to do on Avatar was the breath hold and the protocols of how we prepare and breathe and, and, and that language and all the skills and all of that stuff. That just I had to be background so that their first foremost job was being able to act and get into the scene and the character. Yeah. So that takes, uh, you know, that takes uh, knowledge. So I take them through the PFI programs, intermediate level programs, and then we would do stuff in, a, in our purpose built. You know, we really were lucky. We got to go to Hawaii at one point and have an in-water animals and corals and the ocean and get a little bit more depth in. And uh, so, yeah, they have spared no expense to make this the most immersive, realistic, living in this world uh, interpretation of what Jim looks at Pandora and that, that story arc will be for a water. I got the water movie Oscar for of the um, actresses and act actors of the film because you know you've got the pressure of acting you've got the pressure of you know being committed to them, and you then got to learn these new underwater skills which yeah you know probably some people are probably um, took to really well some of them needed probably more hand held in and yeah. uh, or hand holding I should say and you know it must in their minds that might they I can just imagine just trying to put myself in their place how hard that must have been because they must be thinking but I mean you know I'm, am I going to be able to do this and yeah. get through it that must be really I mean difficult. well largely um out of the principal cast you know some of them like were okay well that was fun you know I've got what I need to get yeah. my job done right and then uh, others were like Sigourney was just, we could not get enough training time in, you know, she loved it. You know, I was supposed to be getting out of the water on my lunch break and, but that's the only time Sigourney could train. So, you know, <laughs> over my lunch break, we would train in the tank. 
Uh, she just, and she was so great at it. And then Kate loved it as well. And um, so, but it's interesting. So some of the kids, Bailey, um, you know, in the beginning, she was like, oh, I, you know, she got cast and she was like, okay, you know, are we done yet? Has our session finished yet? And, um, and then there was this one time when we were training and she was under the water and we had gauges for them and she was doing her thing and she looked at her gauge and she, like she didn't realize how long she was under there. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of came to the surface and, you know, everything's safe, safety protocols and recovery right. breathing and all that. And, and I said, okay, we got to start finishing up. And she was like, oh, do we have to get out yet? And I was like, yes. <laughs> you know, there was the transformational change from like, oh, you know, this is okay. But uh, to like, then she just could not get enough of it uh, as well. It ignited that fire. What's that? Sorry. It's good that it ignited that fire. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, no, it was, it was really good. And all the cast just really embraced it and had fun and did amazing with it. And, and some of them are just like really love the skills and the, and the learning progress uh, or progression for it. And, uh, and then, you know, it just helped them yeah. get into this, get into this character and, and you will see that on screen, you know, you will see a water person because they became a water person. Yeah. Uh, and so that now they're just, they're in their character as that water yeah. person. The film would be much better for it as well. They're, they're actually 100%. Prop, not just all CGI, you, yeah. know, we, we, you know, it never looked quite as good. And I think from, um, I can't remember who we were talking to, Gemma, but somebody else was talking talking to us about Avatar and about James Cameron wanted to use this film to sort of really highlight uh, some of the issues of, you know, what's going on with our oceans and how we're treating it and pollution and bring all these things to bear, really. And yeah, there's, there's using Hollywood to sort of really bring it right up to world's attention. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it's just going to be an amazing ride an adventure yeah. and entertainment and we're going to be blown away. But there are these subtle lessons that, you know, we get to learn that, that parallel what we're going through right now. Yeah. Cause again, this is our, it's our world. It's just into the future. So it's kind of a look at what our future could be like. So do you think it will uh, increase the interest in free diving and oh. super diving? It could be like a game changer for the industry as well, couldn't it? You're, you're 100% right. It will absolutely be a game changer. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it will hopefully spark a whole new generation of divers, you yeah. know, ki kids who are just like, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and so just like, you know, at the DEMA trade show, um, when I started performance freediving 20 years ago, I'd been going to the DEMA show and saying, listen, freediving is the game changer for the diving industry. Because the diving industry, you know, hasn't changed that much in some ways. I mean, technical diving was the game changer, right? Um, but, I, you know, I've always said that freediving is to scuba what snowboarding was to skiing. It was the thing that revitalized the, the ski industry. And you're seeing that now when you look at the demographic of freedivers and, and uh, the participation in it is massive, massive. And there will be the, there'll be the after knock on effects of freedivers like, uh, you know, I'm getting older. I really love freediving, but let's give this scuba thing a try because mm -hmm. I really love, I really love being in the water. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, the overall effect in the diving industry is game changing from free diving and then avatar for diving in general, I think will uh, game changer. Yeah. yeah. So for the people who um, are coming about this new and fresh yeah. and uh, never free dived before, where would you, what advice would you give them if anyone is now thinking about, and they could be anywhere in the world, let's face it, uh, you know, if they've not done it before, they, they're interested in free diving, what advice yeah. would you give? Well, that it's an amazing sport. There's a longevity, there's a lifetime in it. It's got yoga, it's got mindfulness, it's got health benefits, it's lifestyle. Um, it's relatively simple to get into, you know, as far as equipment goes but there are risks with it and you need to know what those risks are and to really have fun in it, you, you need to learn properly. And so find a, find a instructor uh, from a reputable agency and, uh, and take a course and it will be so worth the investment just to, to, to really understand the full potential that you have within it and, and how to enjoy it. And then you get to find that local community it uh, doesn't yeah. matter where you are, no, no tanks um, in uh, the UK and, you know, all of those instructors there, um, Emma Farrell and a bunch like that. Um, yeah, there's, uh, there's, you know, there's just a really good community throughout the world of, of great instructors out there and uh, they can really kind of help you experience what, uh, what this amazing thing is. Oh, that's brilliant. So you've mentioned uh, already quite a few some of the top diving locations in the world like truck lagoon um and you know where have you got anything on your bucket list which is like your place that you really want to go to and dive and explore that you haven't been able to yet um yeah that's a really good question because i mean in 20 years i've been to a lot of places but antarctica I got to I got to go free dive Antarctica at some point, right? Get my thirty mil wetsuit on. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I had an instructor Jesse Liu who uh, was there. Uh, I'd love to do that. Um, yeah, uh, Bikini Atoll. Uh, I'd love to free dive Bikini. You know, just like truck a technical mm -hmm. scooter free dive that area. Um, yeah, there's just you know there's just so much to to see and do. I mean, I've been really fortunate and dove you know, throughout the whole of the Pacific and the Caribbean and been down to Brazil and taught in Norway and the UK, you know, Middle East and stuff like that. Uh, Wakatobi uh, Resort in Indonesia just blew me away with the corals and the life there. It's like the rest of the world was 50 years ago. So it kind of all depends on the style of freediving and what I'm doing. Depending yeah. on, it depends on where I want to go, right? Yeah. 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 So where have you dived in the UK? Um, so uh, I've done the set tank. So the submarine escape tower that was oh, in Plymouth. Was yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Um, I've never actually been in the waters. <laughs> 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 so I, I've dove the UK, but I've dove in a 30 meter deep pool, which yeah. unfortunately I don't think anyone gets to dive anymore. I think it was around 2002 oh, yeah. or three. Howard Jones of Diver Magazine brought me in, uh, or Free Diver Magazine brought me in, and I did a little half-day clinic for the UK yeah. team at the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, no, that's good. So when you've been underwater, have you had any kind of marine animal experiences, or have you got any marine animal you'd like to see that haven't? Um, so when we were filming The Cove, we were in the Bahamas, 
And um, we were trying to get this experience with dolphins. And, um, and so we were cruising along and a couple of dolphins. So we were being pulled behind a boat, right? And we're just, we're breath hold and we're just kind of coming up and going down and cruising along. And all of a sudden these four dolphins come up and they're right beside us. And so I had a camera and I was filming Mandy at the time. And so I said, let's jump off. So we let go of the boat. And right away, two dolphins took off and this, these other two were just hanging around. And uh, eventually this one dolphin stayed, but it had found a piece of plastic in the water and it was bringing it up to Mandy and it was like showing it to her and playing with it. Like, oh, look, I can have it on my nose and oh, I've got it on my fin. And, you know, it, and, it, and it just, it interacted. I, actually, let me back up. We were cruising along and it went belly up to her right close and so it took off again and was swimming around and then it went belly up like that and Mandy didn't touch it, but she put her hand out like that and it moved onto Mandy's hand. Yeah. It was at that point that it initiated the interaction, right? So yeah. we didn't touch it, it moved on to us. So yeah. at that point we said, let's jump off. So then we jumped off and it, we had this 45 minute interaction that brought Mandy and I to tears when we got out of the water later, because it was this, it was this interaction of this animal on its terms that it wanted with us. And it wasn't us chasing it. Mm-hmm. And it was, and, and the sad thing about it was here it is this toy and it's this human garbage, mm-hmm. you know, it's this piece of plastic that's choking our oceans and it's playing with it like a toy. Wow, you know, I, yeah. And you can't help but anthropomorphize that. It's like saying, Oh, look at my toy. <laughs> you want it back? <laughs> um so yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. And then, you know, some of the more tragic stuff we've seen as 73 dolphins get slaughtered in Taiji, Japan, because they kind of consider them a pest. And then, you know, we've had mantas and orcas locally, and I mean, giant Pacific octopus and just humpbacks. And I did uh, filmed blue whales. I mean, I could have poked a blue whale in the eyeball and the eyeballs this big. And it's just like <laughs> hey, looking, at, looking at, Oh yeah. I mean, you know, the heart's like the size of a Volkswagen beetle and we're on, I'm on scooter, like, you know, filming it going as fast as I can. And it's not even moving. It's not even, it's not even doing anything. And it's, you know, it's all I can do to keep up with the thing. And, you know, I'm right beside and it's looking me up and down quizzically. Like, what you doing? Yeah. Actually, I had this really good experience with a mother calf in Tonga shooting for um, racing extinction. And um, we had a 3D camera and it was overheating. So every once in a while, I'd have to give it out of the water and I take a little Subal Canon 5D with a fish eye and, and I'm down at like 10 meters and I've got this mother calf. So the mother's there and the calf's underneath because they're buoyant. So the calf goes under mom's chin and mom holds it down there and they're hanging out. And, you know, I'm about 15 meters away and I'm slowly moving in, slowly moving in and I'm framing from the back and I'm moving in. I'm thinking, oh, this composition is amazing. And, oh, I've got this. This is so good. This is so good. And all of a sudden I heard, and I, I looked up and there was mom's eye. Like I could have poked her in the eye <laughs> and I slowly swam back and, you know, and basically there I am moving in on her the whole time. And eventually she says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> you know, do you mind <laughs> slowly swim back? Sorry, mom, you know, and then the calf, it was, it was almost white, like completely white. So it was like within a week of being old. 
Um, and I had never meant to get that close. I just, you know, forgot I was on a fisheye lens. And so I backed up and then the calf was like around me and like coming up right, right beside me and doing all the big whale moves that they have to learn and do so they can make the lower fifties on the way to Antarctica where the, you know, oceans are going to be 15 meters, uh, mm -hmm. tall. And, um, uh, and then after the calf would get just a little too rambunctious, mum would and the calf would come right down under mom's chin and then slowly would come up. And then, you know, so that was pretty powerful. Nice. I was a new, I was a new dad at the time too. So seeing the mom, like take the little calf and on the nose and roll it down her back. And then the calf kind of fall off and like, Oh, that was fun. Let's do it again. I was like, Oh my God, that's me and my daughter, you know? Yeah. So it was pretty special. So um, talking special then, um, have you got three people who you would like to take in the war who maybe haven't done um, and you'd want to experience or get them to experience what it's like to be a free diver? Uh, could be anyone from history, can be anyone from pa uh, past or present, you know, doesn't matter. Hmm. I think an influential political leader that could really appreciate the oceans and the peril that they're in, what we need to do. Yeah. So I hate, I, say, I hate to say Joe Biden necessarily, but you know, probably the person that has the most power of levers to be able to pull and make change and influence oh, yeah. would, would be one for sure. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's so many, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't think. I can't think of anything really offhand. What What are some of the ideas you've got? Some people choose family. What, what do you think? Some people choose family. Some people choose. That, uh, yeah, that's been a popular one, isn't it? David Attenborough's been another yeah. popular one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. 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 All of those would be uh, would jump be good. for a swim. That'd What's that? Take Mr. Trump for a swim. That'd be good for oh, him. I'd love to show him some breath hold. Yes. Yeah, that'd be yes, good. I have some really good techniques to get maximum times, you know, just gentle <laughs> pressure on the back of the head. Um, no, it's not a political show, but I think it'd be good for him to see. Yeah. yeah. No, no, absolutely. I, you know, again, it's those, it's those, first off, you have to be open and willing to yeah. accept new ideas and the idea of, uh, you know, being in the ocean, seeing what you're seeing and appreciating it, because there's some people you just can't get through to. It's lost, right? Yeah. It might be, might be a, a waste of an option. Exactly. Yeah. So have you got any piece of equipment that you take down underwater that you can't do without, or that is your favorite piece of equipment? Um, hmm. I have a very specific neck weight. So in free diving, we have weight belts, but we also have neck weights because it's about trim and balance. And so I've got this one that's really kind of designed for me and fits perfect. And is just the exact amount of weight oh, that I need. Um, so it uh, depends on what I'm doing. Anywhere from, I'll talk to you in pounds, in about four to six pounds. Okay. Yeah. Probably yeah. about so, two Yeah. Two. Yeah. Pounds is yep. So, um, but um, yeah, Oceaner makes me a wetsuit that's custom to my body. And so the first thing I tell a person, they want to get into free diving right away. They're like the long blade fins because that's iconic in free diving. And then there's low volume masks. But the thing I tell them is, listen, get yourself a good wetsuit. Like a surf suit is not going to cut it. A scuba suit's not going to cut it. 
you know, get yourself a good free dive suit, attached hood, Yamamoto stretchy materials, because it is that thing that is, it's going to keep you warm because your first shiver you get, your resting oxygen consumption goes up 500%. You're not doing anything, but every muscle fiber in your body is trying to generate heat, yeah. right? And oxygen, every molecule of oxygen is important to us. Um, and then flexibility. I've got to be able to take that biggest breath in. Now, just floating at the collarbone, my lung volume's already reduced. I only have 70% of my lung volume. Now you want to wrap rubber on me, three to seven millimeters of it. So I want to have that open cell material and a really three-way flex um, nylon outer portion to it. And I want a specific cut in a free dive suit because I'm really hands over my head a lot. So you know, there's all these things in a, in a free dive suit that uh, I tell people, first thing, get yourself a really good wetsuit. It's going to help you breathe and it's going to keep you warm and you're not going to be restricted in your flexibility that a scuba suit with a, a zipper and all that stuff. With your experience, do you ever get called in uh, for advice for companies when they are looking at new wetsuits and they're thinking, right, you know, uh, we want to bring a new wetsuit out. We want to look at the technology involved in wetsuits to keep people warm and safe when they're doing these dives. Do you ever get involved? Do you ever get called in to help? Uh, yeah, well, Oceaner is a good example, right? They didn't have a free dive suit and it was me going to them saying, you guys need a free dive suit. And yeah. so we collaborated on this is the material, this is the cut, this is what we need. And, and now they are the de facto, you know, one of the de facto, especially in the competitive world, because they offer like custom screening. So everyone gets their custom colors and their custom screens on their suits. So they're willing to do that, right? Um, but yeah, so I, I, do a, I do a lot of little different consultations on computers and fins and all this sort of stuff. Um, I haven't over the last while because, you know, Avatar is a five to six day a week job in my wetsuit, 12 to 16 hours a day, sometimes okay. not getting out of the water. So don't eat asparagus at lunch because you're in your wetsuit for the next eight hours without a break. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's been all consuming. So really with with PFI, I'm so lucky that ITI uh, became a partner in it because it really allowed me to hand it off to a real customer service oriented company that uh, kind of handle it while I was all consumed, being all consumed on Avatar. So, but, I, but I am finding myself with some months of time here. So if any companies out there want a presentation, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing. Sure. So what do you like to, after you had a really good dive, what do you like to ha sit down and relax to and have a, uh, do you like, do you like curry? Do you, is there a certain meal that you like? Uh, you know, what's the after dive meal or drink that you like? I like to rehydrate with very specific uh, sports drinks. For yeah. example, like pale ales are really good. Okay. Uh, Guinness. Yeah. That's a good uh, recovery drink. I find. Um, Do they know sports recovery drinks? No. I'm not, no. <laughs> Do they know? <laughs> yeah, well, they should. I mean, wasn't it in the Tour de France? That's, you know, the cyclists would stop and have a beer because that was their <laughs> recovery drink. Um, yeah, no, after, yeah, after a dive. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not too picky. I just like to eat healthy sometimes, you know. Wings and a beer are kind of nice too. So, you know, it's all about 
it's all about balance in life. It right? is. Can't, yeah. can't be too healthy. I mean, you know, you got to have a little good with the bad. Got to keep things. Uh, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. My body's my body's my temple, but sometimes the liver has to be punished a little bit, right, Stephen? <laughs> Stephen Whalen in there. Okay. I remember that. I like that. It's good. Yeah. And if you had a billboard that you could hold yeah. up underwater or out of the water, and you could put something on it to all the billions around the world, what would you yeah. put on it? It could be a statement, a picture. Um, the oceans are the blood of the world. Let's take care of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you notice a difference in the oceans you've been in from, you know, sort of 20 years ago to now. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been going to the Cayman Islands and uh, they're no particular worse than anywhere else in the world. It's just yeah. I've been going there since, you know, 89. And, uh, you know, you see it. It's noticeable. If you've been in the waters that long, you and you keep going back to those same dive sites, you see there's less life the corals and the plants and everything are under pressure. Um, There's nowhere you can't go in the world. Like, you know, I think the the last group that was back to the Marianas Trench, Challenger Deep found a Coke, you know, it's just like we have polluted it it just immensely. Um, You know, we have more man-made biomass in the oceans now than we have actually ocean life at this point. So that biodiversity loss is definitely a, a, a big thing. Right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's noticeable and it's scary noticeable. Yeah. You know, I've gone to, the uh, first time I went to Tonga, I was like, all right, let's like, let's see some of the stuff. And then you get there and you're like, where's all the fish? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, like they're there, but you know, you're expecting like South Pacific from what you saw uh on programs and and sometimes we do a disservice on document because it shows us just the best mm. you know planet earth and you know the blue planet and there's all these amazing things and you know imagine the time they put in to get to find that one spot which was what the whole world was like a hundred years ago and now we focus in on that one spot and it leads the viewer to believe that oh my god look how amazing the ocean is when it's like yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, that one spot, that one drop in the whole bucket of water is all worse than the rest of it. You know, like bluefin tuna fleets. Did you, I always thought this was amazing. Um, um, the Cove, the Cove won uh, Sundance, but the film that I, if we hadn't won, that should have won. Uh, it was uh, based on a UK author at the end of the line about overfishing, right? Mm-hmm. Over ex- exploitation of the oceans. And they're talking about bluefin tuna fleet nets that they're so big, they could fit 13 747s. And now imagine 30 boats all lined up remote sensing, being able to see where the biggest mass of the tuna are. And these 30 boats, each able to have all those 747s just come in and like scoop it all up. So yeah, we've won. We've won the war on nature and harvesting. Like fish do not have a chance, oh, especially definitely. when it comes down to the tragedy of the commons and we're in the big oceans and pirate fishing and all of those sorts of things. And like I say, you know, 70% of the world's population's main source of protein is on oceans. And we are at risk of middle century having a collapse of commercial fish globally. I mean, we might be going to war over protein. So yeah, I hate to like bring a downer but you know that is the state of our oceans around that's reality isn't it you know we you got you can't just talk about all the 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 niceties and things like that and 
just ignore all the other stuff yeah. as well. It all has yeah. to be discussed. So yeah, yeah. there's no problem with that at all. You know, for anyone who is uh, new to you um, and they want to find out more about yourself and the things that you do and maybe free diving, um, where are they best to go to to keep up to date and uh, to follow you? Do you know, I believe you've got a website. Yeah, yeah. So there's performancefreediving.com and performancefreedivingacademy.com. So those are good places. You know, Performance Free Diving International has a Facebook page. I also have a Facebook page. So I'm somewhat selective on, on that. I just don't <laughs> open it up to just because you have water in your picture doesn't mean I'm friending you. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's how people can keep up with uh, kind of right. what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm kind of in the dark for the past three and a half years because I've been hiding in a tank in a soundstage for Avatar. So yeah, people might think, yeah, where did Kirk go? Right. But uh, I'm still free diving. I'm free diving more than I've ever freed over in my life. I mean, yeah, one, one day, uh, Chris Dennison and I, one of the stunt divers, we logged in over three and a half hours of breath hold underwater yeah. on one day on Avatar. So, yeah. um, you know, in a 12 hour day, like a quarter of our day was spent <laughs> holding our breath <laughs> to give you an idea of some of the stuff we're, we're pulling on Avatar at this point. So it's a lot of fun, but you know, at the end of the day, you're like, damn. <laughs> no wonder no wonder i'm feeling taxed huh? so have you got any questions for us um at all yeah i mean so um so how long have you guys been doing this the podcast we started podcast. in february okay yeah. that's excellent yeah i like that and uh so what's your favorite type of diving well I'm... you don't have to say free diving <laughs> i'm okay with that just i want you to be honest what's your favorite type of diving I'm a new diver. I've only locked 18 dives. So because of the way this year has been, it's been yeah. getting the water. But hearing about free diving, I'd love to try it to support the scuba side as well, because obviously it's very new. And, you know, it's maybe... great cross training for scuba, for sure. Yeah, so yeah. that's me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm the same. I think, um, I think uh, if I was totally honest, yeah, I love scuba diving. Uh, yeah. I haven't done much on the free diving at all, apart from a bit of snorkeling, really. Yeah. Uh, and it'd be really good to, and some of the photos, you see some some of the uh, photos people take when they're free diving, it's just yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, to have a chance to take something that's half decent free diving would be really great and learn some of the, the basics and the uh, techniques would be awesome, you know, so... Yeah. Um, that'd be that's definitely on the list for next year, really. Gotcha. I have one more question. So it's the post-COVID world and you've won a vacation for two weeks, all paid. Where are you going? Ooh. All right. Oh. I think mine would be the Bahamas. <laughs> I was thinking Bahamas. Yeah. Bahamas yeah. are good. Yeah, absolutely. Around yeah. there somewhere, I think would be really good. Yeah. 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 Nothing like sitting with a cocktail on the beach after, right? Yeah, I think yeah, to experience some clear water, clear blue water, because we're only used to. Well, we've dived, I've done the North Sea. It's yeah, all right, and obviously inland lakes. Sometimes it's a bit. Yeah, Dive, that. diving by braille. <laughs> and over the course of this, we've we've um, had you know several conversations with um, uh, Christina Sonato, and one oh, of yeah. the things 
always said we wanted to do at some stage is go and experience a shark dive with them. Yeah. You know, and that'd yeah. be, be one of the things that we'd, we'd definitely like to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's, she's got it wired down pretty tight. Doesn't she? Where she's like balancing them on their, their nose, they're balancing them vertical on her hand. And, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. 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 So fingers crossed whenever that may happen. Okay. 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 <laughs> when we can all get. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. That's really, really good. I think, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, sort of. yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Glad you guys liked it. Yeah, because it it's easy to think free diving is just holding your breath and going down, but it's not. <laughs> no, there's so much no, more to it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was just because we have non-divers listening to the podcast as well as divers. Yeah. So yeah, to get that information out would be amazing. Yeah. And I think it, yeah, hopefully it might inspire a few more people to give it a go. Yeah. That's good. And like thanks that. for explaining the details as well, you know, earlier on, because, you know, a lot of the times, you know, it's easy to forget about the physiology and the details and, um, right. you know, those get forgotten about because people just see all the glossy photos and right. forget about actually all the training and uh, yeah. actually what's actually involved in it, how to actually yeah. get there. So thank you very much for explaining that. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. You guys. yeah, it's been a good way to sort of get information out there in you know times when yeah. physically meet people and uh, yeah sort of yeah well it's funny because when I left a couple of days before I was going to leave I, I just got back from New Zealand right from working on Avatar and a couple of days before I was leaving I was like damn you know I'm going back to COVID I'm going back to like you know keep your distance and I just had this overwhelming urge to go up and hug everyone you know going up to the lighting guy which I barely know hey man oh been great working with you oh bring it in uh you know just like you just forget like how much we need that connection yeah. the simple physical handshake or that hug right if I could I'd give you guys a hug because that's a very Canadian thing to do yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you very much for your time all right guys yeah thank you very much <laughs> okay so we'll be in touch and um, yeah. let you know when it's coming out. Sounds great. Great. Have a good Bye. Christmas, won't you? All right. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Now that does wrap up today's episode of the Big Scuba podcast. But if you want to hear more from the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button depending on what platform you are listening on. That way you will never miss an episode from us. But if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and did enjoy what you heard today, we would really appreciate it if you head to the show page to leave a five-star rating and review. It really does help us. If you do, please take a screenshot of that review and send it to us on Instagram and we'll give you a shout out to say a big thank you. If you have any questions for us, or anything that has been mentioned in today's episode, be sure to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms or send us an email. The links are in the show notes. We will get back to you no matter what. If you have made it to this point in the episode, we both want to say a big, big thank you for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.